This is Steve Bolton. You're here on My Turning Point with special guest Dan Smith from the band Bastille. Really fun conversation. Half movie reviews, half talking about the band's brilliant new album, and then throwing a lot of other stuff that I think you'll enjoy. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, man. It's, uh, it's been a minute, so it's good to see you. Uh, uh-huh. I'm trying to think of when the last time was because, you know, with COVID, everything becomes a blur. So it could have been two years ago or it could have been 20 years ago i know <laughs> no. i really have no clue did, they, did these last two years happen at all i mean they definitely did but <laughs> sometimes it feels like they were forty thousand years and sometimes it feels like it was three minutes it's uh so real head fuck isn't it <laughs> well it's also as you get older you lose all track of time too so it's like if you told me it was last week or if you told me it was five years ago i would believe either one so you know. Yeah, but, uh, well, you know, I mean, it's funny. You at least got an album out of this. Was this a, you know, as I've asked every one of the 8,022 interviews I've done in the last, you know, couple of years, was this a COVID baby or no? No, it wasn't. It was it was conceived before COVID and before lockdowns. And, and it was sort of, it had, it had begun life then too, to extend your metaphor a little bit further than it needs to go. Um, yeah, we'd begun it and we'd been recording a bunch of music, you know, when COVID hit the UK and, and, and we all went into lockdown. Um, but I think the ideas around escapism and the ideas around how we escape and the ways we use technology, um, they definitely were kind of exacerbated and heightened by, you know, by the world that we all just lived through for the last two years. Um, I was you know, we live in a time where like our reliance on technology and its involvement in every kind of intimate corner of all of our lives is, you know, was already, you know, that was already, sorry, I'm not taking myself. We already lived in a time where technology was kind of interstitched into pretty much everything that we do. And then having obviously lived inside for the, the better part of a year and a half, two years, like, that only became more heightened and um, and more developed, and that would have been impossible to ignore. But the ideas of science fiction, you know, the ideas of of the, the, uh, of, of using humanity and its bizarre connection with technology to, to 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 try and talk about the present day and 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 like and and myself, those aren't new ideas. You know, those those things have been around for a long time, pre-pandemic. So. Um, yeah, I guess I guess it was just quite fun and liberating, deciding that it was going to be a sci-fi, and that you know what that meant for the sonics of the album and and the ideas and the themes. Um, it meant that I just got to spend a lot of time over the last couple of years reading and watching a lot of sci-fi, <laughs> and <laughs> listening to a lot of podcasts about the future and um, about the past. And you know, it's quite nice when an album can double up as a as a sort of research project and something that you're already interested in. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was it was not a lockdown album in that sense. But obviously, we made it in the context of lockdown and and. I guess it's fitting for what the album's about. Um, it's fitting that we made it, you know, over screens and over Zoom and remotely and in all the ways that people did. Um, 
but then there were those amazing joyous moments where we got to all be in a room together and actually make music as you know as human beings in in, in the same space and so um getting to have sort of the best and worst of both worlds was 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 fucking awesome and hopefully you know made this album all the better for it um it ironically is our most collaborative album yet despite the fact that we were all more isolated than ever so uh yeah well i think that's an interesting thing that came out of this and there's a lot of direction to go in with that but i think one of the things is that you know it's funny is that while our dependence on technology was immensely heightened and it's funny because like I was interviewing the killers last year and we were talking about the fact the last time I'd interviewed them was in person. And we were like, that will never happen again. Ronnie was like, yeah, I'm not wearing pants. You're not wearing pants. Like, you know, no one wants to go back to the in-person interview, but I think being sort of torn away from people so much. And it's, it's an interesting metaphor. Look, I talked about this with so many performers and it became a very interesting Rorschach test. Did you miss being on stage when it was taken away from you? Or was it something that you enjoyed the break? And, you know, I think in the same way, did you miss having that human interaction time or were you comfortable with the downtime? And so for everyone, I think you, you know, you kind of appreciated things more. So do you find when it's funny, you said it's the most collaborative album. Do you feel like that as a band, maybe you enjoyed the time more because it was taken away? It wasn't this thing where, in past, you were put together all the time. You knew it would be there. You knew that yeah. you would be in the studio. You knew you would be on the road. And all of a sudden, we're in this situation where it's like, fuck, I don't know when the hell I'm going to see these guys again. Yeah. I mean, I felt hugely grateful to be able to do the thing that I love, which is writing songs um, from my bedroom in the same way that I always have done with our band. Um, you know, there are so many people out there who weren't able to, to do, you know, their jobs, all the things that they love doing in their free time, you know, that was, so I, in that sense, I felt hugely grateful. I, I weirdly didn't miss touring at all. Um, because I think for me, I love writing songs and I love making songs and taking them out on the road is obviously, you know, it's fun in a lot of ways and it can be amazing in a lot of ways. It's also, you know, a huge amount of your life that is taken up by this one thing. And so for me, it's always, I've always had a complicated relationship with, with touring where I love our crew and I love the band and I love the family that we have. And I love the, the how privileged we are to get to, you know, see the world and, and, and play to people who give a shit about our music. Like that's obviously amazing, but like, but I ultimately love making things. And so, you know, this was, this was a two year opportunity for me to distract myself in, an, in a very strange series of events to, you know, to distract myself with just writing an absolute fuckload of music, you know, this album, other albums, EPs, projects for the people, songs for the people, you know, uh, writing songs for the sake of it. You know, I, I love, I loved it. Writing, writing, you know, running a film club, all the things to distract from the apocalyptic anxiety that we were all going through and, you know, how much we were missing people. There was definitely a sense of calm that came with the world stopping, despite the sort of awfulness of it all. And, you know, despite watching the news every night and seeing, you know, tragic numbers rise and all of that, um, putting that to one side, the idea that everyone in the world in some way or another had kind of, I don't know, not obviously everyone in the world didn't stop, but, but there was a kind of, there was definitely a calm in being forced to stop for a minute and knowing that everyone in some sense had been forced to stop. 
but you know, but then you speak to your friend who's a doctor and they're having the fucking worst time in the entire world. And it's like traumatic on a daily basis. And it's, was, you know, obviously pretty humbling to, <laughs> to be reminded of, of like the fact that, you know, at, at worst having to stay at home, you know, but with being fortunate enough to have a roof over your head and, and, you know, like I said, still be able to do the job I do. So like, it was weird. Like it was, it was, it was on a, on a personal level, like obviously it was really strange having toured pretty much nonstop for seven years, not being with all those people and not seeing the band and not speaking to them every day. Um, but I think I definitely used, used the opportunity to kind of busy myself with things that, that um, I was passionate about and interested in. Um, so yeah, I guess it must be so interesting for you chatting to so many artists. Cause I know, you know, I know some people were like totally unable to create, like, like had to just stop and switch off and take the rest or, you know, and other people were desperate to get back out on stage because that's what they thrive off and they love the attention and they love the buzz. And it's just, yeah, it must be, like you said, a real interesting test of, 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 of the, the many varied characters that you get to speak to, I imagine. Well, it's interesting. The most interesting answer of everybody was the Texas artist, Shaky Graves. You know him? Mm-mm, no. Great artist out of Texas. And he had the most interesting answer because most everyone was creating. But I asked him what he was doing. And he's like, nah, dude. He's like, I'm a touring musician. This is the only break I'll get in my life. He's like, I spent the first six months doing absolutely nothing. He didn't want to write. He didn't do anything. And then like you say, yes, there are the lifers like Ozzy Osbourne, who was literally, you know, he had to stop touring a year ahead of time because he had the neck surgery. So he was off the road for a couple of years. So by the time I talked to Ozzy and I quote, he's like, I need to get on the fucking road. Sharon and I are getting on each other's tits. Like I'm losing my fucking mind. <laughs> so, amazing. but I mean, that, Ozzy spent 50 years on the road and, you know, so I think for everybody, it was very different and it's fascinating and it, it's interesting to see everybody's response. I love the fact that, by the way, too, and it's funny because I did talk with artists about the fact there would be like a COVID box set. So it sounds like you would definitely have a COVID box set. But before we come to that, I want to talk about the film club because being a big film buff and actually getting back into it when I finally had time to stream, which I never had time to do before. You know, I love the fact that there are two songs on the album named for movies. And it's funny because Back to the Future is an obvious one, but Thelma and Louise doesn't necessarily fit the rest of the motif of the album. So I'm very no. curious. Well, there are two songs on the album. Um, well, yeah. So Thelma and Louise and Club 57 are both um, supposing that in the world of the album, if you can kind of put this headset on and go anywhere and do anything and be anyone, Thelma and Louise was like, well, if you're looking to escape and run away from your life, why wouldn't you be Thelma and or Louise sitting in a, you know, in a top-down car, in a Thunderbird, flying down the highway, you know, as an empowered, uh, as an empowered, empowered woman running away from, you know, have the life that you've just rejected. And, you know, it's such a kind of iconic visual for, 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 for freedom and liberation and, and, and escape. Um, and I fucking love that film. So it was a really nice excuse to watch it a few times. And, and there were a million different verses, you know, it's, uh, it's such an iconic piece of pop culture, but I love sort of using imagery from, from things that I'm a fan of to kind of try and tell another story. And so it became in the album, this sort of like moment of complete freedom and, and kind of like retro futuristic liberation in a way. Um, and yeah, with Club 57, again, it's like, well, if you could time travel anywhere, why wouldn't you go to the 80s club scene in New York and be Keith Haring? Like, 
in, in Paradise Garage, like, you know, doing some amazing nuanced paintings all over the body of somebody else. Like that's, I thought, um, you know, that's a kind of era and an art scene that I'm, I'm really interested in. And, and I, I guess those are the two kind of time traveling moments in the album where, you know, we go back to Thelma and then we go to the future again. And, you know, it sort of bounces around in time and goes in and out of your head. You know, halfway through the album, there's a song called Shut Off the Lights, which is basically about the person that you're in bed and out of your fears and woes and worries about the future back into back into the moment that you're in and saying like, come on, snap out of it for a minute. Like be, be here in this present moment. Um, and again, the album finishes on another track called Future Holds, which is, you know, meant to kind of ironically um, undermine all of the fears and worries and conversations that happen throughout the whole album. It's meant to be kind of, I don't know, jokingly skewed by this person that's next to you being like, mate, chill the fuck out, like stop worrying about the future and kind of just try and enjoy what you've got right now, which is obviously, I don't know, as a message, it's definitely something that I could do with telling myself a little bit more. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. That's, that's like, a, it's a, all part of the weird arc of the record that we've made. So what else was in your film club? In the film club that we did, oh man, uh, we looked at Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and spoke to Helen Curris, who was the uh, director of photography on that film, which was amazing. Um, we went to we went from country to country, so we went to um, we went to New Zealand with one of Taika Waititi's films, Hunt for the World of People, and we got to speak to Taika. And the whole point of the club was to watch a film from a different country every week, and then I'd gather questions from film fans and film club fans who would send in, you know, their thoughts or their questions on the film. And I'd collate, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of questions and then pick, you know, pick however many, 10 or 20, and then put them to the director or an actor or, you know, someone involved in making the film. So I guess for me, it was a real like lockdown opportunity to have conversations with people that I admire and get to be a film geek and a nerd. But the most important thing was empowering um, empowering other film fans to be able to have a direct line to these people who they probably otherwise wouldn't ever get to speak to. Um, so yeah, it was really, it was really fun. It was really, it was really nice, unpretentious um, community that we built. You know, my, my, my film taste is often quite left field and odd. And I was trying to also be mindful of the fact that people just wanted a bit of distraction. We didn't all want to be, you know, dragged through the psychosexual dramas of Hollywood in a, in a, in a David Lynch film. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I fucking love his films, but like, uh, you know, weeks, week four of lockdown is probably not what lots of people need to be watching. <laughs> um, all right, yeah. so, all right, well, we're going to, I mean, we're going to jump around in this, but now I'm just, for me, like I said, as a film buff who used to do a lot of film writing is getting back into it. Do you have five favorite films that you can name or, or is it too hard for you? Some people can't, some people can't. Yeah, that's really, I actually just, I actually can't, I'm rubbish. Like I, I, I always go to the same ones as well. I don't know how honest that is as a, as a, as a, as a way of talking about it. I'll always go to, I'll always go to like Kubrick and I'll always go to Lynch. Um, and I'll always go to like Badlands, which I, which I love. Um, right, let's, put, let's put this another way then. You know, this is interesting. And usually I'll ask people who are musicians, what films they would love to score. But yeah. because you talked about Club 57 going back in time and Thelma and Louise and the escapists, 
if you could live in any two films, what two films would you live in? Ooh, oh God, that's such a good question. Um, oh my God. Uh, maybe like the, oh God, I don't know. All the films that I love are so dark. I think like, I don't know, thinking of, a, of like a, a mainstream sci-fi, like Fifth Element would be quite a fun universe to exist within. Um, or like a mad animated film. Definitely, I wouldn't live in Wally because that would be depressing as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh God, I guess the films, that I, like I said, the films I love the most, they have such, such like depressing, complicated environments. Um, I was thinking about like when we I directed a video for one of the songs on this album called No Bad Days and that for me was like a really fun opportunity to to finally get to direct properly um and we were referencing a lot of science fiction but also um I love the cinematography of Darren Aronofsky um and what he did in in Requiem for a Dream like when I was growing up I used to really love that film I think it's incredibly um haunting and dark and it's not like it's not one that you would necessarily want to revisit for the lols but um but it's beautifully shot and i love like the split screen and the macro the micro macro filming uh and the sort of time lapse shots and everything about his cinematography there and clint mansell's score as well um i'm not answering your question i'm just talking about films but um <laughs> yeah it's so funny what two environments would you live in uh, you know, it's hard. I, I don't think about that, but it's, we'll come back to Requiem for a Dream for a second because it's really funny because Jared Leto has been a friend for many years and I absolutely love Jennifer Conley. Amazing actress, wonderful person. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the films that I would choose last to live in. Oh, yeah. I, would not, I would not live in that film if you paid me, but, um, but yeah, I just, I think about, I don't know. Well, as a, okay, as a music geek, I probably would say... Um, almost famous because Cameron Crowe's a good yes. friend. And I mean, That's such a good shout. I fucking and, love that. Yeah. And how much fun would it be to hang with that band? And then, you know, I'd go back, I, I'd go back to a film like either Casablanca or the Oh, never mind, dude. I would live in a Marx brothers film. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That could be fun. Like what, and what, what, like, are there any utopian alternate realities that would be fun to occupy that have been have been put into film? Um, it's interesting because they're not just. I tend to go more uh, not science fiction. I tend to go more into realism. Nostalgia. Like Haruki Murakami is my favorite author. So, like yeah. Wings of Desire to me is the most beautifully shot film ever made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's I guess it's a potential opportunity to go and live in a culture that's really different to the one you know. To, well, but also with the angels and everything, it, it, there is like a, a sense of there definitely is a utopian. There's a difference in it. It's again, it, it takes a really. I mean, did you ever read the book? Uh, this is so funny because now we're and actually this is sci-fi. But did you ever read the book um, uh, "Never Let Me Go" by Taz Ishiguro? I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say it. Yeah, no, I have. I have. It's an amazing book, and and the, the film was the film was good, but it you know it, it has to give away. So they much did a great I, I, job though with. Yeah, but yeah, it's it. so again. I tend to gravitate more towards that. So I don't know if there's like a well, you'd, 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 want to, you'd, you'd want to live in a clone boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to live, but I'd want to live in a world that feels very real, but has just that little bit of alternate dimension. Yeah, yeah. Not not a kind of clockwork orange retro futuristic. Uh, not a Blade Runner thing. That's that's not my world. You know. 
British hellscape. Yeah, no, I don't know why. I don't know why I keep I keep going to sci-fi's because yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, that's just again, it's all taste, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't envisage myself. I don't feel like I live particularly futuristically, so I don't think I want to live in a future uh, a wildly. But is that is that part of what appeals about it to you? Is the fact that you know, again, it's I think as artists, Nick Cave, who you know, speaking of Wings of Desire, and it's just freaking genius. He once said to me that as writers, you're always searching for what it is you're longing for. So whatever it is you don't have. So do you feel like you're drawn to the future? Because as you say, it's a message you need to give to yourself. Dude, chill out. And, you know, and again, I mean, especially during this time. And then even if we figure out the COVID stuff, then you're looking at climate change and the fact that it's 180 degrees in the morning and 28 degrees at night and, you know, the fires and all this stuff. Like basically we feel pretty fucked. Well, that's, I think that's the, the point of this album and, and why it's like each of the songs are a kind of different meditation on our relationship with the future is because we live in a time where we're so constantly confronted by what the future looks like. You know, the, the, the last couple of years have meant that we just, it's, it's totally uncertain what life from, from month to month, year to year will look like from now on. It's, it's all completely unknown. Plus, as you said, climate change, we are every day confronted in the news by the differing ways in which climate change has confronted communities all over the world. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it looks pretty bleak, you know, the, the potential future that we collectively have, but also we're surrounded by people who are working their fucking asses off, um, you know, as activists or scientists or, or researchers or whatever to try and steer this like planetary ship into somewhere, you know, a little bit, more livable and, and, and more favorable for everybody. And so we are on a daily basis confronted with, with different versions of what the future might be. And, and um, not to mention, you know, with new technologies that are popping up left, right and center all the time that are constantly changing and adapting how we live our lives and how we interact with each other and how we view ourselves. Um, and, and, and that's, really mad and it's really fascinating and it's not necessarily all awful like there's some really interesting inspiring stuff within there um so yeah that's just but that's the reality we live in and like as someone that loves pop culture you know you can go back and watch films from not that long ago that we as a society have surpassed in terms of in terms of you know what what, what we've achieved i think of like a film like minority report that that imagined kind of driverless cars and you know, targeted advertising, which at the time felt, you know, like felt a fair way off. And now we're like way beyond that, you know, Uh, that's more than part of a lot of people's everyday life. So it's just, that's just the surrealness of living in such a like rapidly accelerating world. Um, And so, yeah, I guess we wanted to make an album that lives that and holds a mirror up to it and kind of pokes fun at it too um, and pokes fun at ourselves, but also, you know, tries to have a look at like what what does our humanity mean in and amongst all that stuff, whilst also just being hopefully a kind of banging half hour fun futuristic pop album. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, sonically, were there were there when you go back and listen to this, are there elements that you hear from other artists that again, oftentimes subconscious, where you think about like, okay, because obviously it is a little bit more electronic leaning than other stuff you've done. You know, but it is like you say, it's very fun. But when you talk about like a Club 57, then I think of someone like the B-52s who just were a fun club 
party band. Yeah. Well, I wanted to make a fun party song for a fun party scene. You know, it had its, it had its darkness and it had its complexities, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I think I wanted to make something that kind of cut through the, the synthetic electronicness of this album and sort of opened up. I wanted it to feel like as that, as, as the sort of filter opens from synthesizers into guitars, I wanted it to feel like you're sort of floating back in time into this scene, into this club and into this party. Um, but yeah, there was, you know, there were lots of, there were lots of kind of cultural touchstones. We wanted to use a lot of electronic instruments to, you know, to imply the future and imply, imply, you know, futurism, but also a lot of retro futuristic sounds, you know, nodding to these films from the past that we look to as as the kind of like cultural touchstones of 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 sci-fi that have informed like the life that we live now and the world that we live in um but you know it was also a kind of a chance to explore music from the 80s that that maybe i i hadn't listened to in so much detail you know we nod like heavily towards bruce hornsby in the piano solo in no bad days and and you know paul simon grace lambert's an album that i listened to you know, was on in our house constantly growing up. So being able to sort of nod towards that in a few moments and, you know, Quincy Jones, horn production, um, elements of like Genesis and Phil Collins, but as well as like, you know, more modern kind of futuristic sounding artists like M83 and Kavinsky. And, you know, we use a lot of harmony engine and vocal effects, you know, inspired by artists like Bon Iver that I love. And, you know, and yeah, I guess we wanted it to pull in, you know, loads of different things from music that we love. Um, you know, Daft Punk, like Prince, like so, so many amazing artists. And, 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 uh, I guess we just immersed ourselves in that, like musically and cinematically and in terms of literature, you know, in, 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 in all of this stuff and, and kind of emerged from it with, with this album. Um, yeah, that's, that's just a lot of, you know, it ends with a kind of sort of slightly mad, really electronic sort of future gospel song where I just hand the mic over to this amazing singer Bim and let her kind of walk off with the album at the end. Obviously Riz Ahmed um, pops up in the middle of the album to deliver like quite a beautiful poem that sort of sums up what it is to sort of live as, as a human with intimacy in the sort of, in the environment of the future that we all seem to occupy. Um, so yeah, I guess it was a kind of fun challenge to, to hopefully weave quite a rich and complex album and talk about a lot of different things in terms of, um, yeah, in, in terms of like how the fuck do you react to the world that we live in now and the potential worlds that we could live in? How do you try and like be positive and affect the future in a good way? Should you just bury your head in, a, in the sand, stick your head in VR and like go off and, you know, play video games because it's a nice distraction and it's kind of empowering and allows you to be superhuman and chat to your friends. You know, obviously that's not like the solution, but it's a temporary one. You know, how okay is it to lose yourself in, in fiction and in, in forms of escapism when life is incredibly challenging and complex? Like, you know, uh, what, what is too much of any of this stuff? Is that even a thing? You know, um, I think the song plug in kind of, says it all. I wanted it to be a kind of almost paranoid rant about the ridiculousness of now um, and the world that we live in and, and to show it like it's amazing in so many ways and it's completely absurd uh, and fuck knows what it's going to lead to. Um, 
you know, hopefully there's a kind of humor in the album where like all of this stuff is so ridiculous. It's, it's not trying to take itself too seriously, but like that's there and like hopefully the fun of the music and yeah, it was nice to make a bunch of songs that we wanted to dance around the studio to while we were making them. It's funny, as you're talking about all this, the, the thing that's coming to my mind from a, a sci-fi standpoint, <laughs> actually very different, is Futurama. So, and I feel like there is this element of like, you kind of have to have fun with it because again, if you, if you, you know, it's like that old saying about, you know, well, you have to laugh, otherwise you're just going to cry. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, if you don't look with some fun at what's going to happen or the possibilities, and of course we also have no freaking clue. Yeah, of course. Yeah, totally. We have no, we have no idea, and that's but that's also what's so interesting with with sci-fi and the versions of of the future that people have imagined. Loads of them are happily proven to be wrong. Some of them are terrifyingly true, um, and it's also yeah. I guess it's also about trying to imagine a future that's not awful as well, and then and then kind of like manifest it in some sort of way, like as, as you know, not, not in some sort of hippie way of saying that, but like, that's what a lot of, you know, a lot of forward thinkers, a lot of kind of activists and a lot of scientists and inventors, that's what they're doing. You know, they're like imagining something that doesn't exist yet and, you know, striving to make it a reality. And that's, that's fucking fascinating as well to me. So yeah, it's all, uh, anyway. When you go back and listen, I mean, well, actually I want to ask you this because it's interesting as you're talking about weaving all these pieces together, and then you have the interlude Brave New World in there. I mean, it is so much like a narrative. I mean, you know, and obviously there's so many elements of popular culture that focus on sci-fi. Is this something that you would ever think of turning into a movie or like adapting into like, a, you know, a streaming series that focuses on each song or something like that? Because obviously, I mean, I feel like the, the you know, elements are there for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't thought of that at all, but it would be fucking really fun to, <laughs> to try. <laughs> I think, you know, like, I sort of, this album I kind of made as a movie in my head, and we've been able to make music videos that kind of add to that a bit. We also, you know, in, in releasing the record, we, you know, we've created and launched a fictional um, tech monolith company uh, called Future Inc. that has this technology called Futurescape, you know, that allows you to go into the universe in your head, which is our own kind of like matrix adjacent narrative that we have been releasing the music with, which has been really fun. You know, it may not be a series or a movie in a literal sense, but, you know, in a lot of the thematic senses it is. And that's been really fun. I'd fucking love to adapt this into something, you know, you, know, you never know what might happen. Um, yeah, it's been... So yeah, who knows? <laughs> that would be that would be fun. Um, I think it's helpful for me to talk about this album as a sci-fi because um, that's what I used to make it. You know, that's that's what allowed me to throw myself into a lot of sonics that we might otherwise not really have touched upon um, because I was able to like acknowledge that this is a record, an era within a career that will hopefully not be entirely defined by it, but just enhanced by it. You know, the album, the next album that we're making could not be further from this if it tried. And it's fun making them in, in tandem because, um, yeah, it allows you to push both even further away from each other just to keep things interesting. So is the next one an all acoustic record that focuses on the past? How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
You said it couldn't be more opposite. So yeah, all <laughs> takes place in the 1800s. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all pre-technology <laughs> recorded on straw. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Well, what do you want to add about the album that I I did not ask you about? Uh, is there anything you want to add about Give Me the Future? I mean, I guess you know we kind of talked about the fact that I think the most interesting thing about this record is that you know while it's focused on the future. You acknowledge the fact you have no idea what the hell the future is. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, it's all there in the lyrics, in the album, you know, in the verses. It's, it's, it says everything about our kind of anxieties for the future and potential hopes for it and the, the way we willfully deny and willfully deceive ourselves uh, and all the shit you do just to get through one day to the next. And, um, and I think it was about presenting all of these topics that can seem so kind of huge and vast and unreachable, but also just having to be just a person living your life in and amongst all that. Um, yeah, I guess I've kept coming back to this image of somebody sitting on a sofa in their pants with a VR headset on, like, and in their mind, they're, you know, I don't know, flying through space or doing whatever the fuck they want and just how, how odd that is, but now how kind of normal it is. <laughs> Um, and that's that, that as an image, I, I, you know, I've cited a lot in, you know, in, in, in all, in all the sort of, in, in all the creatives, um, that we've worked with. That's been like a thing I've kept coming back to because it's, it's, it's how a lot of our lives have been for the last couple of years. Cool. This was an absolute blast. Uh, anything that you want to add, we did not talk about because we covered a shit ton. I think we covered a, 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 <laughs> covered a lot. <laughs> It's it really good to see you, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, dude. No, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's always great to catch up. And uh, cool, man. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Thanks for having me, man. Take care. Hey, this is Steve Walton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Dan Smith from the band Bastille. But if you close your eyes, does it It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.